I have to admit, my favorite sermons tend to begin with just two words. Jesus said. Jesus said. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6, verse 24. And we're going to use this text and compare it to an incident that happened in the dark ages of Israel. Over in the book of Judges, chapters 17 and 18, is recorded some very sordid events indeed. The remarkable incidences, incidents in these two chapters illustrate with great vividness the principles of our text. These chapters contain the story of Micah and our melody of sin and crime that not only condemn with the bitter irony of truth the follies and sins of the dark ages of the judges, but apply with severity and awful truthfulness to the social and religious abuses of our own times. 3,000 four, three thousand five hundred years later. Well, here in those chapters, we have a picture of a terrible kind of dishonesty. Micah, a young man of Mount Ephraim, steals from his own mother. He steals 1,100 shekels of silver and for a time conceals his ill-gotten gain. At length, alarmed by her angry curses, he comes and he repents and restores the money. Here we see a very common picture of dishonesty and crime commencing in the home itself. In the first penny stolen in secret from mother's drawer and leading to a life of lawlessness and crime. Absolute righteousness in the minutest particular is essential to all true religious character. And this is not what you find in the pagan religions of old. Usually when they would pray to their gods and goddesses, it was a bargaining kind of thing. If you'll do this for me, if, if, if you'll curse Lucius with a, a broken eye, I will cut my vein and give you a bit of blood. All that kind of, If you make that person fall in love with me, I will sacrifice a goat or something. And you will notice in the whole of the Holy Bible, there is no, there are no prayers that say, Lord, make that person fall in love with me. You see, love cannot be forced. It has to be a choice. And we can clearly see the, immoral, the immorality in pagan religions. We find a lack of righteousness today as well in, the, in society and singular corruption of conscience about what is right and what is wrong. They think it's all relative. You can make it up as you go along. Clearly, this is not true. There are men and women who can speak of deep religious experiences and extraordinary public services, yet seem to be unable to appreciate the absolute necessity of strict integrity and uprightness in the matter of property, of debt, and of business transactions between man and man. We have here a picture of passion in the story of Micah's mother. Oh, she loves her little boy, but right now she's very angry because she just stole a lot of money from her. When she found her $700, that's what it would be in our money, when she found that her $700 was lost, she was very angry. And she cursed so loud and so long that it seems to have been the only thing remembered about the transaction. 
It made such an impression on Micah that he never got over it until he restored the money. But the moment she saw all of her money come back to her, she forgot all about her anger and even about the crime of her boy. And she fell into another kind of a passion, a passion of delight, and blessed him as extravagantly as she had cursed him before. Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son, Judges 17, verse 2. The lady had a little streak of religion running through her after all, and probably thought that she was a very good sort of woman. It never occurred to her to sit down and tell her boy about his wickedness and lead him to true repentance. All she could think of was that she had got the shekels, all those dollars back. Now, like many a mother, alternating between the love and anger towards a child, which is both alike natural and sadly in some cases devilish. Now, we next see a picture of counterfeit consecration. I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. You see what she did? What a strange melody of religion and idolatry. Micah's mother had plenty of religion, but it was not of any good because it was mixed. It was mixed with paganism. The need of the world is not man's religion. All people have religion. The less a man has of God, the more he has of man-made religion as a rule and superstition. The heathen have far more religion than we have because they have to do this, they have to do that, all these different kinds of things to please their gods. Some of the most horrible things you would ever seen or you would ever see are carried out in India when people would climb up to the top of a mountain with hooks in the back of their flesh tearing at them. Terrible things. It's superstition. And in the end, it's all self-serving, of course. They sacrifice and give and do far more in the service of their idols than a great many Christians do for Christ. But it is the devil's religion. Back of all their idolatry, they too, like Micah's mother, have a dim idea of the Lord. And will tell you that these images and fetishes are but forms of stepping stones through which they, which they rise to the true God. A Roman Catholic who mumbles her rosary and counts her beads and looks up to the saints and images of her altar. And the Buddhist who talks about nirvana alike claim they are doing it unto the Lord. And above all, and beyond all religions, there is the same deep sense of God and desire to meet him. But this does not make it any better, does it? The motive does not make the forbidden act right. And so in our religious ceremonials, we may have much piety in building chapels and building altars and contributing to the costly machinery of splendid rituals and keeping our fasts and services, but it is idolatry all the same if it is done against the will of God and against the instructions found in the word of God. It is empty and it is vain. And what a surprise will await many a devoted worshipper when he finds in that last day that God has accepted none of his foolish sacrifices. And all this expenditure of money and time and bodily exercise has been as vain as the grossest idolatry of heathenism and the licentious orgies 
of Baal worship. But notice in this old lady's consecration how she betrays herself by an act of real insincerity in the midst of her pretended sacrifice. I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord, she said in Judges 17 and verse 3. Holy unto the Lord. This she says, and yet, when it comes to business, she only took 200 out of the 1,100 shekels and kept the rest. She was not even honest in the little religion that she had. We we see the same spirit in heathenism today. There are far too many who who will claim to be religious and they will try to cheat their gods as openly as a great many Christians, sadly, who put a bad penny on the plate. If he can do it unnoticed, he will do it. It is the custom of the Chinese, for example, to offer clothing and articles of furniture at the graves of their ancestors. They're made of tissue paper and set on fire. They're just supposed to be ceremonial, of course, so that they may go up in smoke and reach the dead in the land of the spirits. But you'll notice something interesting, that they will always make half the garment, one side of a pair of pants or a jacket. And the reason given is this, the gods will not notice it, and he would save on the other half. How natural it is to let self come into our very devotions. And how much we need the faithful admonition of Paul to his brethren at Corinth. Now therefore perform the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 11. Here in this account in the book of Judges, we see a picture of ritualism, replacing the true worship prescribed by God in the scriptures. Micah makes the image and he sets it up in his idol temple with a whole ritual of idolatrous worship. He has a house of gods and an ephod and a teraphim and, and to make the whole thing complete, he consecrates one of his sons to be the priest. But it's all a piece of man-made religion. It's all showmanship. Now here's the point where the emphasis lies. Micah's religion was all manufactured according to his own patterns. And this is the essential effect of all forms of false religion, no matter where they may be in the world. They are all man-made for selfish reasons. It matters not whether they are of the grossest idolatries of pagan nations, with their common fetishism and priestly idols, or the licentious forms of gross idolatry, which would express the passions of the human heart, or the more artistic and ideal religious systems of more refined ages with their Confucian morality, their Buddhist philosophy, or their ancient Vedas and Shastras, whether they be the dreams and pretended revelations of the false prophets Muhammad and Joseph Smith, whether they be the imposing ceremonials of the papacy or whether they be the elaborate rituals of so many modern so-called Christian churches. They are all but the thousand man-made forms of so-called worship. If you were to turn on the television and see some of these TV evangelists, you would be shocked at some of the things you see. Not that long ago, I seen one man take his hands and he pretended to cut his hand and he pretended to bleed into the Holy Communion and then he drank of it. 
Shocking. You know, if it's not commanded by Christ in the Holy Bible, don't insult him by doing it. Don't let yourself down by disobeying what Christ says. The essential fault of every one of them that that do things against the will of God is that they are based upon the traditions and inventions of man and not set upon the revealed word an authoritative commandment of Jehovah God. God's command to Moses was that he make all things, all things, according to the passion shown him in the mount. And Christ's command to his disciples was an echo of it, teaching them to observe all things, not some things, not the things that we're just willing to, to do, not the things which are comfortable for us to do, Not the things which won't possibly offend somebody somewhere at some possible time, but to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Matthew 28 and verse 20. And not to do so is an act of rebellion against him. It's an act of disobedience. And therefore, the devil has tried to get into the very church of Christ itself and institute a whole system of theological thinking teaching and ceremonial worship that God never revealed nor commanded and changed the whole divine system of the church into a piece of human machinery which we could manipulate at will. Used to be it could go into any church which called itself a church of Christ and it did exactly what it said on the box. You knew what was going to happen but not so now. There are some churches you'll go in, you'll sit down, and within two minutes you'll look up and you'll think, hmm, hang on, what's the drum kit doing there? There's an electric guitar there. There's a pole in the corner. There's a puppet show going on. Not that there's anything wrong with puppet shows. I love the Muppets. Make more sense than the government. That's my politics for today. I love music, I love drums and guitars, but there's a time and a place for everything. If God said, I want to have a, a, a Kiss tribute band up on, the, ba- on the, the pulpit every single day, he would have told us so. But he didn't. If God said he wanted to have a puppet show during the service, he would have told us, but he didn't. If God said he wanted the preacher to do handstands on the pulpit, and this has happened, not that far away from here, it's not going to happen now, believe me. It's not, not going to happen here. <laughs> he would have said so. And we'd do it. If he told us to do cartwheels up and down the aisle, we'd do it. But that's not what he said. That's vain religion. God knows what he wants and he asks of us what he wants. The act of obedience is pleasing to him. How much of our religious work today is entirely human for human needs to push human culture not that long ago there were people who would say oh there has to be a different church for for white people a different church for black people if you're one sixteenth african-american or you've got to go to a different church if you're part native american well, you're barely human You might not even be let into the church. 
I only found out not that long ago a lot of Native Americans pretended to be African Americans so they wouldn't be murdered on sight. But the Lord's Church is a rainbow church, isn't it? It matters not where you come from or who you are or what your background is. God loves you. And as I said earlier, if you, if you have hatred in your heart for any other group, you need to get rid of that hatred or you're not going to make it to heaven. Or if you do make it to heaven, which I really don't believe you would, you would be very disappointed because guess what? Heaven's not segregated. These were all man-made things. To push culture and establish man's will above what God had willed and desired. Our worship to God is sustained at an enormous cost by trained performers who belong to the world, to the flesh and to the devil on six days, and for consideration give a few hours to the Lord on his day, maybe. And much of our so-called religion is what the apostle describes as teaching for ordinances, the commandments of men. Matthew 15 and verse 19. And again, ordinances which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Mark 7 verse 7. And this we find in the world. Have you ever heard of a thing called the Toronto Blessing? Well, at the Toronto Blessing, apparently God poured his Holy Spirit down upon all the people in the congregation and they started laughing. And laughing so much, some of them even peed themselves. They were rolling around in the aisles. They were jumping up and down. They were screaming at the top of their voices. That wasn't an act of God. That was people being hysterical. And they looked crazy. Brethren, when the Bible talks about the apostles speaking in tongues... It was talking quite clearly that they were speaking in the languages that could be understood by the people who were there. That's what it was about. Because I guarantee you, if I said I was speaking in tongues and static on blah, 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 how many people are going to go, wow, he must have the spirit in him, I need to run after him. They'd throw a net over you. If they had any sense. And then after them doing that, they turn around and they say, oh, I want to have your love gift of $800. I'll give you a free Bible. It costs me a dollar. I'll give you a free Bible if you give me $800 tax deductible. To them, it's all about business. But the Lord's Church is not a business. It is a charity. And there is a big difference. One is about gaining profit. One is about winning soul making life better for all of humanity and obeying God every single word that he says it's selfless you see not selfish it's hard for a lot of people they enjoy being selfish they've been told selfishness is good Do you remember that movie Wall Street Michael Douglas's character got up and he said greed is good what does the Bible say about greed? Does it not tell us it's idolatry? I'm going to stick with the Bible. And after Micah had arranged his whole ritual of false religion, all this great show, he felt that something was lacking 
You see, he wanted something. He wanted God to recognize his man-made religion, his man-made church, and give it a touch of authority and sacredness. That's what it was missing. And so one day, there came along a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judea. And he stayed, within a, stayed with him for a few days. And Micah, finding that he belonged to the Levitical line, the priestly line, invited him to become his priest and take charge of the temple take charge of the service that he had recently fitted up and offered him a salary of 10 shekels a year, equal to about $6.40, besides a good suit of clothes and his board. And the young man considered the call and finally accepted it. And he was installed as the preacher in Micah's church. Micah's church. Doing what Micah told him. He was hired by Micah to do what Micah told him. Not to do what God had instructed. But then Micah was at rest. He felt completely satisfied. He had got just enough of God in his man-made church to justify him in calling it a religious institution. And so he rubbed his hands with delightful self-complacency and said, Now I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing that I have a Levite to be my priest. Judges 17 and verse 13. And so men and women today are making up their various religious programs and wanting only to get ecclesiastical recognition. So they're the right reverend, worshipful father, apostle, whatever. All these different names they give themselves. Most holy, worshipful apostle father. Most wonderful prophet and prophetess. All of these titles they're giving themselves. And remember, if they make a prophecy and the prophecy doesn't come true, oh, well, that's your fault. Or Satan thwarted the prophecy. Brethren, if God gave a prophecy, that prophecy came true. And no amount of pushing from the devil could ever stop it from coming true. A false prophet is a false prophet. And they are to be called out. They are to be identified. And they are to be completely ignored. He did all of these things to get some Levite with real apostolic succession to countenance the thing. So many people want to do that today. And no matter whether God approves or disapproves it, they'll still try and do it. And it is only too easy to get ecclesiastical recognition for any form of a doctrine or melody of so-called worship. They'll even change their Bibles to suit what they believe in. Massacring the Holy Scriptures, taking out a verse here, a verse there, a word here and a word there. Let a man of liberal minds and attractive personal qualities go forth among our people as a public teacher and win their confidence and applause by his books and lectures. And then let him publish it to the world, a creed which could be accepted by a Unitarian, a Jew, yes, even a spiritualist as well as a Christian. If he is tactful enough in pointing his phrases and prudent enough in guarding his expressions, then that man can stand as the acknowledged representative of the most conservative of the churches that you may find and be recognized as a true minister of God. And yet, is he? 
We must check the word of God to see if what he says is in accordance with God's word. We must check to make sure that the word of God that he is using has not been changed to suit his ambitions. For it is not of God. If it is not of God, it is of man or of the devil. And let a man of of the wild license of modern theological thought and the passion for freedom and originality cut up this holy Bible with his penknife until nothing supernatural is left. This has already happened in some churches, you know. Thomas Jefferson did it himself. He didn't like the miracles, so he cut out the miracles. If there was something he didn't like, he just threw it out, and that's exactly what they're doing today. And sadly, even some churches which call themselves the Church of Christ will do that. I tell you, when they do that, that church ceases to be a Church of Christ and becomes a Church of Man and under God's condemnation. There are many who will laugh away the the Pentateuch and the books of Isaiah and Daniel. They will try and laugh away the word of God and say, Oh no, you, you don't need to read the word of God for yourself. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about, really. Brethren, don't trust me. I can make a mistake. Read the Bible for yourselves. Learn it. Trust this. Trust the word. No, let the very sanctuary and temple of God be prostituted to religious entertainments and exhibitions that would scarcely be counted decent on the stage. And you can see that if you turn on your TV sets. And you can see some of these fakers that are raking in the money like you wouldn't believe. It's not about God. And there is a real danger in the world where people confuse their will with God's will. And if God doesn't agree with them, well, then they'll get a special revelation. And sadly, far too many people believe them. We have a picture of the sad fruits of religious compromise. In the sequel story of Micah, we find that it is most ironic and most tragic. A band of freebooters from the tribe of Dan were pressing forward after new territory. And they came to the house of Micah and finding the priest asked counsel about their movements and were encouraged on their predatory expedition. They went forward and finding a beautiful region returned to their own tribe and organized a powerful force. And these following in the footsteps of the pioneer party first came to the house of Micah and stole his priest. And then they stole his gods. Imagine they stole his gods. It is fascinating if you ever read the classics of the ancient times of the Iliad and the Odyssey, I'd highly recommend it. You learn a lot about the cultures that surrounded the Bible and the Bible times. But it is interesting in the Aeneid, that epic of Roman mythology, which to them was their origin story, their version of the Bible, if you like. Their hero was in Troy, the city was burning down. What happened to their gods? Oh, well, he had to run in and save his gods from the fire. He had to save his gods from the fire because they were going to burn. Brethren, our God saves us from the fire. 
There's the difference. You can see it, can't you? Well, when Micah followed them, he was protesting and he was pleading, please bring back my preacher, bring back my gods, bring back my livelihood. But they coolly advised him to go home for fear he should be hurt. And they marched on with his possessions, leaving him only the cold comfort of their scorn. And then passing on, they invaded the peaceful territory that their pioneer party had discovered and put the helpless villagers mercilessly to the sword, taking possession of their country, where they in return organized an idolatrous shrine and a seat of worship, which became in succeeding years the most corrupting influence in all of the religious life of the nation of Israel. Thus we see Micah's sin and folly bearing fruit, first in his own sacrificing and in his own suffering and loss, and the ruin of all his cherished hopes and his plans, all his desires, and the very loss even of his religion. His gods were stolen. They weren't much use, were they? Secondly, in the cruelty and the wrong which swept away a whole defenseless community. And thirdly, in the long-continued and baneful influences which had started and kept in operation throughout all the centuries of Israel's history. And all in the name of religion. I'm going to please God, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to please God, but I'm going to do it so I get the preeminence. So that people look and think how great I am instead of how great thou art. You see, it's all about him. The focus is all about him. It didn't work out too well for Micah, did it? And it doesn't work out too well for the false teachers and false prophets which we find in the world today. My good friend, teacher, mentor, Brother, Burleson, uh, Brother Ken Burleson, he once visited with a man called Jerry Falwell. I'm sure you've heard of him. Pulls in about $500 million a year, that kind of guy. And he said to him, and he said he wished he had have recorded it. He said, the Bible says in order to be saved, you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And he took him to task on all of the things which he had been talking about, which were against the will of God and the Bible. He said, you know what Falwell did? He said he opened a drawer. He took out a tin of caviar. And he ate the caviar in front of Brother Ken. And he said, well, I'll just be enjoying my caviar. I don't care. I do not believe they truly believe that God exists. Or if they do, they're using religion to deceive. Or they are fully deceived in themselves. The Holy Bible is quite clear. And yet they will ignore its word. Or they will change the word of God to suit their beliefs. Many allow religious compromise to go along to get along. But that's not the message of first century Christianity, is it? Not at all. In order to remain pure, it must remain pure of the religious influences of the day that are not from the word of God. It must remain pure from religious compromise. 
and the sin of Micah in every age. First, they lead to the bitter disappointment and ruin of the worshipper. And the day surely comes when the devil will steal the worthless religion that he gave his wretched follower and leave him nothing but scorn and despair. Secondly, superstition leads and will always lead to cruelty and to crime. False religion becomes a precursor and a destroyer of the rights and the liberties of man. The two most cruel and destructive influences of medieval and modern history have been Mohammedanism, Islam, and Romanism. And they are both forms of false religion, very similar in their history and religious principles as to Micah's hybrid religion. For that's what they did. In Islam, Muhammad, their false prophet, took the religion of Saudi Arabia, which had hundreds of gods. Allah was just one of those gods. He had a wife, he had daughters. There were hundreds of them. He was the chief god of the city of Mecca. And he thought, well, you know, I like this idea of there being just one God. But you know what? It's not Jehovah. It's not the God of the Jews. It's Allah, the moon God of Arabia. Hence, you see the moon. And he mixed the religion up. So if you ever go through the Quran, which is a very small book, and if you're afraid of Islam, read the Quran. You won't be afraid anymore. You'll realize the sun does not set in a lake on the other side of the world, and it is not the size of a football. I mean, just that alone would tell you. It's a mixture of Christianity, it's a mixture of Judaism, there's a whole dollop of paganism in there, even elements of Buddhism and Hinduism, genies. And then you look to Romanism. Roman Catholicism is basically the old Roman religion with Christianized names. As simple as that. They took the rituals and they transferred them over into that religion and gave them Christianized names. But it's not what the Lord had told us to do. The Pope is known as the Pontifex Maximus. That's the same title as the supreme religious leader of the old pagan Roman religion. If you do a study of it, you'll be surprised that there's really no difference. They are both forms of false religion. The early conquerors of South America took possession of the land in the name of God. And even the very geographical names of the continent today bear witnesses to their pretensions of piety. El Salvador means the saviour. And there wasn't much salvation to the people who were there. It was the ruin of the true natives. And the, deg- and the degradation, degradation which still exists upon the land today bear witness to their cruelty and their wickedness. The populations are kept in fear because a population kept in superstitious fear is a population that is kept under control. And thirdly, the level of false religion becomes a corrupting principle in all the future history of a people. Micah not only succeeded in corrupting his own family, but also in laying the foundations of evils that lasted to the latest age of their history and corrupted the whole nation, leading eventually to the captivity of the people and the sins and sorrows of threescore generations. When the northern kingdom of Israel broke away from the southern kingdom of Judah, 
They didn't have a single righteous king. Not one. And Judah, very few. And this all came because of greed, idolatry, worship of self, what they wanted rather than what God wanted, what they were willing to give God rather than giving God what he was due. And so when we defied ourselves with compromise in the world, we also defiled the streams of divine truth and we poison a whole generation. It only takes one generation to change everything. But it's not the will of God anymore, is it? Yes, we could change things to get, make things more you know, um, attractive for people. We could have disco lights going on. We could have a beer after services. Some places do that. But that's not what we're going to do because we're going to serve God. Because this is not a church of man. This is a church of Christ. This is not a church of nationalism. This is a church of the kingdom of God, which is international, with an international king that rules over the whole world and all the people in the world are accountable to him. It doesn't matter who they are. All will bend their knee to Christ and they better be right with him on that day. When we plant the tares in the midst of the wheat, we leave behind us the seeds of thorns and thistles for the eternal burning. Men may think it a very innocent thing to play with higher criticism when people deny the divinity of Christ or the actual literal truth of God's word. Or when people toy with ritualism, they think what can be the harm with having a few people walking around with bells? going this way and that way in the middle of a service. Doesn't it look good? Look at all the kids going forward with the, the bells and the, all these bells and smells, as I call it. That's not what God wants. What they are doing is undermining the faith of their own children. They are kindling the incendiary fire that will burn up their altars and their homes. And they are pioneering the awful procession of anarchy immorality, crime, and the very horrors of lawlessness and wrong which will usher in the days of evil and catastrophe of the world. We have seen this in our own country over the last decades. Get God out of education. Get the Bible out of there. Teach people that they are an accident of slimyology, that they come from nothing, they're going to nothing. Teach them they're just animals. And then they're so surprised when they don't act like angels. We reap what we sow. And those of us in the Lord's church, we are the guardians of the truth. And we must sow the truth of God's word. And be very careful that we're planting it for the right reasons. For his glory. Because it's all about him. I love that hymn. All of thee and none of me. Because that's the correct attitude. That's a blessed attitude that is pleasing to our God. We cannot make it on our own. We make it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his teachings. Through what we find in the word of God. Through the enrichment we receive from God's word. Because if the church is built on anything else than the rock solid word of God. 
without any of these man-made I think and I think that. It's not about our positions. The Lord's church is not the church of suppositions and what we want. What God wants. You see, what God wants is what we should want. Life becomes an awful lot easier when we just surrender to God. You see, just imagine, God actually knows what he's doing. He doesn't need us to do his thinking for him. He's already told us all that he needs and requires of us. And it's right there in the word of God. There's no new, 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 new testament. There's no super new testament after the new testament. This is all we need. The complete revelation of God's word. And we build our lives on it. We find comfort and solace in it. We know that we are saved today in the same way that they were saved in the first century. How do we know that? Because we follow the pattern established in Scripture. All the patterns. We don't change them to suit our culture. We don't change them to suit ourselves. That would be a corruption of God's Word. And when we start doing things like that, then we need to take the name off the building. If we are truly to be the Lord's church, there can be no compromise with darkness, no compromise with error, and we must be ever vigilant never to allow the snake in the door because the snake will grow, its venom will grow, and far too many good and faithful churches of Christ are now community organizations, community churches, where people are baptized into a community and not into Christ. There is a difference. In Mark 16, 16, the Lord Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Not he that believeth and makes it up as he goes along or does whatever he feels comfortable or whatever feels right to him. Not he that believes and does almost everything I say. But he that believes and is baptized. He that is obedient to God. And why wouldn't we want to be obedient to Christ? We've seen the consequences of what happens when men decide to make up their own religion. Self-aggrandizement. Perhaps for fun. Usually for profit. It's no profit to their souls, nor to the nation or the people around them. The lessons we can learn from the life of Micah and his mother are many. But let us take this with us as we close tonight. It is far easier to serve God than it is to disobey him. The consequences of serving God are good. And the consequences of going against his will are disastrous. If you're not a Christian tonight, I beg you to become one. Surrender your will to him. Be baptized so your sins can be washed away. And if you are a member of the Lord's church and you need our prayers or anything, we're here as we stand and sing the song of invitation. And may the Lord be with you all. Two.